the Broncos are not going to fire Vance Joseph two weeks into the season, but like if the Dolphins destroy them next week, and then if the week after that, like if the Bears who are kind of like really struggling right now, like if the Bears offense goes up and down, the like if we're four or five weeks into the season and the defense is remaining a liability, like I honestly think Vance Joseph could be on the hot seat and like he might be somebody that's fired during the season if this trend keeps up. And, you know, maybe I'm being alarmist. Maybe it's too small of a sample size, but I'm just I, I'm worried about the defense. And it's just so annoying how it's something that's been their strength for so long is now seems like their biggest weakness. Welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here along with my good buddy, John Heath. It's the Broncos Wire podcast. We're brought to you by the USA Today Network and we're available wherever you get your podcast. So I'm glad you found us. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe and tell a friend. We appreciate you. Check in with us all season long to talk Broncos. Uh, if they would win a couple, John, that would help. But how are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty decent. No thanks to the Broncos. How are you, Ryan? Um, yeah, same. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Patriots fan, so I'm not much ha- more happy than you are. But this is... Uh, <laughs> I'm actually kind of excited about this uh, show because the Broncos at least give us some good stuff to talk about. This game was insane, John. I mean, could you have, they, you know, I know the script writers are like on strike out there, but I mean, they, they drew up a good one for the Broncos and commanders. Heartbreaking from a Broncos perspective, but definitely entertaining. All right, well, let's just dive right into this. Uh, I guess the question we want to lead off with today is who's to blame? Who's to blame most? The Broncos were ahead 21 to three. It was a really a, a refreshing start to the ball game for them. They come out scoring points, playing pretty good football. You're up 21-3 against a team that, in a quarterback, Sam Howell, we didn't think the commanders would probably be able to hang after that start the Broncos had. I definitely didn't. Uh, But the commanders climb all the way back into that thing. They win the game. They actually led by 11 points somehow, John, halfway through the fourth quarter. It's like, okay, so not only were you, you were winning 21-3, and then you were down 11 halfway through the fourth. So things definitely took a turn. Uh, Rex Ryan was on the get up program and he was blasting everyone and uh, really he was blasting the defense and especially defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. The biggest blame is definitely on the defense. I think Rex Ryan has a really good point. He mentioned on ESPN that the Bronx, this was before Monday Night Football, so I don't know exactly if it's the case still, but going into Monday Night Football in week two, the Broncos had the most points per possession in the NFL. So like and they scored 33 points on Sunday. Like if they hadn't lost by a unsuccessful two point conversion, like we would have been talking about how great it is. The Broncos scored 33 points. Like when was the last time I remembered them doing that? And so like, I, I really do think like the offense, obviously it's not perfect. They got to work out some kinks and we'll talk about that. But like the offense is so much better than it was. And as you said, for years, defense has been a strength for the Broncos and now suddenly it's flipped. And the defense is like such a weakness. And you said too, like Rex Ryan being salty because he was like, when I looked at that roster, I was like, there's no reason this shouldn't be the number one defense in the NFL. And he said, like, if I was the defensive coordinator and then he stopped himself. And then like in another segment, he was like, if they had hired me. So I, I don't know <laughs> how much he's like half joking and how much he really is like, hey, Sean Payton, buddy, like if you're going to fire Vance Joseph sometime this season, I'm still here, man. Like you can circle back and call me. So that that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, the defense is so frustrating because they allow 18 unanswered points. And like just a week ago, the commanders 
I, I think they scored like 20 points against the Cardinals who aren't even the Cardinals are like the favorite to get the number one overall pick this year. It, like a lot of people think the Cardinals are going to intentionally tank and the Broncos defense allows Washington to do much better than Arizona's defense. And by the way, Vance Joseph was the Cardinals defensive coordinator. The Cardinals now without Vance Joseph look a lot better on defense than they did last year. So they that's, do. that's just another thing that's alarming. So it's, it's frustrating. And I, I was just today, we're recording Tuesday night. I just went back and was just watching the highlights of the game again. And I was just looking at like the, the defense, the tackling was so bad. They're giving up chunk plays like in the run game and screens and passes down the field. And like Sam Howell, he's making his third NFL start. And last week we were talking about how he holds the ball too long. He was sacked six times in week one. The Broncos only got three sacks, excuse me, they got four sacks. Three of them were very early in the game, but twice Howell just held the ball way too long. So if you don't count a quarterback being incompetent and holding on to the ball too long, they had like two sacks. And the week before he was sacked six times. So I, I feel like the pass rush on the box score looks like it was improved, but I feel like it's fool's go because you're not going to play Sam Howell every week. And I really feel like it, it wants in as good as it needs to be. And in like crunch time when it was most important, they weren't getting the sacks then. It was early in the game. They jumped out and got those three. So just across the board, the defense was so disappointing. And I was thinking today, I was like, you know, we think about the Broncos defense as like full of elite talent and like an elite defense in the NFL. But really, Pat Sertan is their one elite guy. Justin Simmons has been an elite safety. You know, the Broncos they just have a good, like a, a bunch of good pieces. And I really think Vic Fangio ha- took what he had in the Broncos. Like they have two elite pieces, Justin Simmons and Pat Sertan. And the rest, I, I feel like a lot of the rest of the guys are just kind of league average, a, a little better. Some of them much worse than league average. And Vic Fangio just got the best out of them. And then Ivero came in, a Fangio understudy, and they didn't miss a beat. They were they were really good last year too. And then Vance Joseph comes in. And, you know, we lost Draymond Jones. We replaced him with Zach Allen, maybe a little bit of a downgrade, but you would think maybe not too, too much. And besides that, the defense is mostly the same from last year, but it just looks so much worse. And I think that has to fall on Vance Joseph. And, like, the the Broncos are not going to fire Vance Joseph two weeks into the season, but, like, if the Dolphins destroy them next week and then if the week after that, like if the Bears who are kind of like really struggling right now, like if the Bears offense goes up and down, the like if we're four or five weeks into the season and the defense is remaining a liability, like I honestly think Vance Joseph could be on the hot seat and like he might be somebody that's fired during the season if this trend keeps up. And, you know, maybe I'm being alarmist. Maybe it's too small of a sample size, but I'm just – I'm worried about the defense and it's just – so annoying how it's something that's been their strength for so long is now seems like their biggest weakness very annoying and it was something that we were worried about when they hired vance joseph in the first place john because his cardinals defenses weren't that good um and like you talk about ivero ivero's defense actually took a step forward from vic fangio right they were they were dominant under fangio and then they were actually even better last year i thought i mean the defense is awesome last year Uh, So they definitely have taken a step back. And you mentioned like the running backs in the screen game. I mean, that's what frustrated me the most. I'm glad you said that because Brian Robinson, I mean, he's he's a fine running back. But I think in terms of like a yards per carry efficiency type of guy, he's not that good. He's in the middle of the pack of the NFL, if anything. And you're right. He was ripping off big chunk gains. 
And really, the commanders are predictable. They like to run it with Brian Robinson. They like to throw it to Antonio Gibson. And you got ripped on Robinson runs and Gibson screens. Right? When you see stuff like that going on, it's definitely alarming, right? It's definitely alarming. The commander should not be that tough of an offense to stop. And, you know, your commentary on Sam Howell as well. What else is going on with this team? I mean, Kareem Jackson, it might just be bad luck for him. It, it looked like this. So he, he got another another headshot here that I, you could almost see he was like, oh, no, not again. Like, I didn't mean, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't think he's me. I don't think I'm not going to say he's a headhunter. I don't think that. No, I about don't think Kareem. he's being no. malicious. No, but man, is it bad luck? I mean, the penalties and uh, there's just like a few guys in the defense right now that you're just kind of thought you could count on and you just can't right now. Yeah, Jackson, he was ejected for that hit. And like you said, I don't think he's trying to be malicious. I think he's just got to be smart. Like, I I don't know if maybe he's got to start hitting guys lower. And, and like that shouldn't work against Jacoby Myers last week because then Myers slipped and fell down and ended up being hit. hit. So it's kind of he's in a tough spot. And I get that. It's hard when you're a safety like the receivers right in front of you catching the ball. You want to try to break it up by knocking it out and hitting him hard. He's just He's just got to be careful because this is the second week in a row he's hit someone in the head, knocked them out of the game with a concussion. And apparently, you know, multiple reports that he won't be suspended for it. Apparently the NFL was considering it, but I think he's going to get another big fine again. And he, he's just got to be careful because one, it impacts the game. You know, that him getting ejected, that's a huge loss for the secondary. And it impacts the game because it's a 15-yard penalty, or in that case, it took the two-point conversion from the two-yard line to the one-yard line, and then the commanders punch it in from the one-yard line. That changes the complexion of the game. And the Broncos were already thin at safety because of a bunch of injuries, and then they lose Jackson, and Turner Yell and Justin Simmons were the only guys left, and then Turner Yell got hurt too. So Bassey, who was a cornerback, a good slot cornerback, they had a corner playing safety, and Justin Simmons was their last safety left standing after Jackson got uh, ejected. So he's just, he's got to be smart. He, I, I like, it's a tough thing to be in. I don't know how much, you know, like I, I, like I said, like maybe go low, but like if the receiver ducks his head, then you risk going low when he goes low and do head to head. So it's a tough spot to be in, but it's something that he's got to be aware of. And then Damari Mathis going into this Dolphins games, like I, I'm terrified if, if if like Tyreek Hill is matched up on Mathis, that's just a nightmare. And even Jalen Waddle, like he he's in concussion protocol. But if he's cleared and able to play on Sunday, like either of those two guys against Mathis, like that is literally a nightmare. So Mathis has really got to pick up his play. And if he doesn't, I think he's going to get benched at some point this season. And Riley Moss is the guy they drafted in the third round this year. He had core muscle surgery. He's been active for the first two games. He's been practicing, but I think they just really want to be careful with him coming back from that core muscle surgery whenever he is healthy and, you know, deemed healthy enough to play. Like I I would hope that he's good enough to eventually become the starter across from Sertan probably sooner rather than later because Mathis just continues to struggle. uh, And that is part of, you know, part of the defensive struggles like Sertan you, you he'll he'll allow some receptions like every cornerback does even the best ones but you know for the most part going into a game you're really confident about Sertan if you don't have across the field someone that can hold him across from it it doesn't matter if Sertan's great because they're just going to pick on Mathis the whole game yep. so he's been a huge liability and that's something they got to get figured out yeah I remember Tom Brady used to say 
I don't care if the, the flow of the game dictates the throw is going to Darrell Revis' side. I'm not throwing it to freaking Ter- Darrell Revis, right? And I think that's how no. quarterbacks are going to treat Sertan. They're not going to throw at him, especially if they have uh, better options. So, yeah, uh, the corners behind Sertan, huge concern right now. It's early, right? It's early, but still, this coming week against the Dolphins, we're going to get into this game here coming up. But you're going to have Vic Fangio staring across from the other side watching your defense. It's like, God. Well, the defense has had its issues. The offense is scoring more points, so that's good. But the offense still has its own issues, right, John? Um, and I think a big story coming out of this ball game was Sean Payton coming out and saying that he's frustrated with the communication from sideline to huddle on offense. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like a something we've ranted and raved about last year, and we blame Nathaniel Hackett for it, John. Uh, but here's what Payton said after the game. I thought this was really telling. It says, quote, it was more than just one drive. And this is after I think somebody said, you know, Russell, you know, Russell Wilson said it was only a couple plays that the communication was poor. Sean Payton kind of corrected that and said, no, it was more than just one drive. Uh, he said there were a number of drives where we were late with personnel getting out of the huddle. We took a while that has to change. We had to burn timeouts in the first half and I'm not used to doing that. We have to be better. I have to be better. Every now and then, John, he throws that in, but I don't think he believes that. <laughs> I think Sean Payton's blaming everybody else. But anyway, Russ has to be sharper with getting the play out, and then we have to look at how much we have in. If we need to wristband it, we will. So he's basically saying, do we have too many plays in? Is the verbiage too long? Uh, there's something there between the play coming into Russell Wilson, getting relayed to the players, getting lined up, getting out of the huddle, all that thing. Sean Payton says it's too slow. We ripped the crap last year, John, out of Nathaniel Hackett for the same thing. And we said, Nathaniel Hackett's not getting the play in. Oh, no. Was it Russell Wilson all along? Is Russ, does Russell Wilson struggle with this communication? Is this bogging down the offense? And I think there was a drive in particular I want to talk about uh, where this really loomed large. But I don't know. What do you think about this? It seems like Sean Payton is kind of annoyed about this. It's not a problem he had with the New Orleans Saints. And it seems like he's kind of throwing a shot at Russell Wilson, even though he didn't do it like outwardly. I think he's kind of throwing a shot at Russell Wilson. Yeah. And like you said, last week, we got all over Nathaniel Hackett for this. And I think it's a combination of both. I think Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson were a very bad match. I think, I think Hackett was probably the problem, but like you're saying, when Sean Payton's saying this, it makes you go right away. Like, Oh, okay. Russ, like at the very least, Russell Wilson is definitely a part of the problem as far as like these delay of games and mm-hmm. getting out of the huddle, getting up to the line, being aware of the play clock. Like clearly he, he's part of the problem. Like uh, the substitutions and like guys getting into the huddle late, like a running back, like not getting off the sideline fast. Like that's not a Russell Wilson, but getting the play out quickly, getting up to the line, being aware of the play clock and, and getting all the verbiage out. Like that is on Wilson. And it's, and even last year, they went to a wristband, and I think Wilson did a little bit better after they did. So I think it's definitely at least partly on Wilson. Maybe it's even majority on Wilson. So if he comes out with a wristband against the Dolphins, like I'm not going to be upset about it. Like If it helps their offense operate more smoothly, and if that's what they need to do to, to, you know, to help out. Like there, there's nothing wrong with wearing a wristband. Like Tom Brady did it for however long. It, it worked it just fine for the Patriots. So I, I, I think like – even Russell, I don't think he likes to do it. And I don't know if it like bothers him on his hand or on his wrist, or if it's just like a pride thing. If it's like perceived as like shameful, like you, you can't get the verbiage out in time, so we have to do this to simplify. I I don't know. It it seems like he didn't necessarily want to last year, but to me, it's it's like no problem. It's like hey, if that helps you 
get in and out of the huddle and be an efficient offense, like, yeah, go for it. So it's going to be really interesting to see if he is wearing one this week. And, you know, if it helps things run smoothly, I'm all for it. I say go for it. Yeah, I would bet that we see the wristband. And I, just to clarify, like, we're not saying, and I know you you agree with this 100%, we're not saying Russell Wilson's, like, dumb and can't get the play. Or, you know what I mean? Like, we're not saying that at all. You're right. Tom yeah. Brady wore the wristband. I think the reason why this wasn't an issue in Seattle is because when you're with one program for so long and this offense evolves around you throughout your career and you win and you win Super Bowls or get to Super Bowl, I know they won. Did Seattle win two? I think they won one. Almost. One and lost one. Patriots got them. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, but yeah, when you win Super Bowls and you win at a high level and the offense evolves with you, you don't need no freaking wristband. You almost know the play that's coming in, you know, before you run it, right? It's like it's like second nature. But Russell Wilson's down his second offense in as many years. So he he does not know this offense like the back of his hand yet. He just doesn't. He hasn't lived lived in the offense. You know what I'm saying, John, right? So it's just not it maybe it's just not clicking. And yeah, whatever can get the tempo going. Because there was one certain drive, John, in this game that had to drive Broncos fans absolutely bonkers. And I'm and it's it was the drive to nowhere, right? 7-11 left in the game. The Broncos go on a 15-play drive that lasts 5 minutes, 21 seconds of the game, game time, to go 61 yards and end up with a freaking field goal after it was first a goal in the one. That is a brutal drive that took way too long and didn't yield enough points, right? So, I mean, any Broncos fan watching this, I know the game was crazy at the end and the Hail Mary and all that, and we'll get there, but that drive to nowhere, oh, God. I mean, that right there, I know the offense has been sharper and it's been better, and there's some positives there, and I think that there is some things to like about what's going on. I think Sean Payton's been a good influence and all that, but that drive to that drive just kind of, doesn't that highlight the issues with the tempo on the offense? That drive took way too long, it took way too many plays to go 60 yards and end up with a field goal. I mean, that was that was brutal. You're down 11. You need two scores. You got to get the touchdown if you're on the one-yard line. You can't walk away with three points. So that was brutal. And, you know, they again, 7-11 left. You use five minutes, 21 seconds of the game to get down the field. Uh, there just has it has to be quicker. There has to be better tempo than that. That's brutal. Yeah, you got to have situational game awareness, and and they got they like you said they got to be more up tempo, and they got to be moving the ball quickly or faster than they were. And like I said before, there were a ton of offensive positives from this, like scoring thirty three points compared to recent seasons. That's fantastic, and how many points they're averaging for per possession is fantastic. Like they are being able to score points is just there's things like that. Like you got to, they got to work on ironing out those kind of kinks. There's definitely room for improvement. And like the, just specifically a specific room for improvement, the offensive line seemed like it took a huge step back from week one. Like Garrett Bowles really struggled. Mike McGlinchey really struggled. Like it's never good when both tackles are like a huge liability. There were so many penalties. Russell Wilson was sacked seven times. Some of that was on him, but you know, some of it was just the offensive line playing terrible. So there there's stuff. And like, it is positive that despite all, you know, all the seven sacks, despite both their tackles being terrible, despite Russell Wilson losing a fumble and throwing an interception like they deal they scored 33 points I know six of that is from a Hail Mary so even if you even if you take that away you know they're scoring upper 20s which is a much better than average than last year they were scoring like 16 and a half points a game which was worse in the NFL so there's there's plenty of positives but there's things that got to be worked out like 
Wilson protecting the ball on, on that fumble. I know a lot of people are really mad about it. To me, I'm I'm almost certain he thought he was down by contact, and he's got to be again like situational awareness. Like even if you think you're down by contact, just grab it real quick, just in case. I yeah. I, I kind of cut him a little bit of slack for that because I think it was just kind of a weird thing where he assumed he was down. But then like the interception there right before that, he almost threw another interception. So he's just he's got to be smarter with his throws. But again, like overall. He has five touchdowns in two games. Now he has two turnovers as well. But like overall, I think Wilson is looking better. And overall, the offense is way better. There's just the operation. We we got to work out the kinks. We got to get things smoother, more efficient. We got to get things faster. And the thing is, we got to remember, we're two games into the regular season. And like you said, this is Russell Wilson's second offense in two years. Sean Payton, like, yes, he had preseason, but, you know, the starters weren't out there for all preseason, really, in the regular season, we're just two games into Russell Wilson and everyone else on offense playing in Sean Payton's offense. So it's frustrating, but, like, overall, I think there's way more positive signs on offense than there are negative signs. And, like, there are negatives. It's not perfect, but I do think the offense is trending in the right direction. I'm not, you know, I'm not hung up on the offense. It's like we said earlier, it's the defense that's the worry. Yep, I would agree with that. And, you know, good for the Broncos for, again, they they get the ball back. You got no timeouts, right? You're on your own 13-yard line. There's 40-something seconds left, and you're able to get yourself in position for a Hail Mary, and then you execute the play. I mean, come on. I mean, that's pretty sweet, right? You don't see that. That play doesn't work very often. Now, usually you have to get, get an assist from a stupid team, and the commanders are stupid. (laughs) <laughs> and that wasn't, they didn't coach that up right. And those two guys going, there's two commanders going up for the ball to try to intercept it to show their girlfriends or wives, like, look what I did, you know, like, oh, what are they doing? This bad, that's just selfish football by the commanders right there. Two guys trying to pick it off instead of what did Chris Berman used to say on primetime when we were kids, John, growing up watching NFL primetime after every Sunday night? I know you did. You watch primetime, right? Uh, no. Not so much. Oh God, am I am I that old? I'm older than you, aren't I? I might be older than you, John. You are older than me. Yeah. Oh no, I'm older than you. Okay. Well, Chris Berman used to say to Tom Jackson, "What do you do?" And he'd go, "Knock it down." That's what you do. You knock it down, John. You don't try to intercept a hail mary if you're the defense. You knock it down. And the Commanders were being selfish on that play. Helped you out. Great play by the Broncos. I mean, awesome. What do you think about the two point conversion, John? Well, I think like the rules expert. Um, I'm blanking now on which one it was. It's the CBS Royals expert who used to be a NFL referee. And he tweeted that it was forcible contact from the defensive back that definitely, uh, you know, hurt the receiver's chances of making a ball, a play on the ball. And like, whether the game's on the line or not, whether it's in the end zone or not, like if it's forcible contact by the DB before the ball gets there, like it's just pass interference. Like I, I think just, you know, if it's an obvious, you know, you know, maybe I'm biased because from my perspective, like from a Broncos perspective, to me, it's obvious maybe to like a more neutral person at once an obvious pass interference. But to me, if it's obvious contact before the ball gets there, it's pass interference, whether it's in the end zone, whether it's at midfield, whether the game's on the line, you know, whether it's a throwaway game and a blowout, like PI is PI. So I wish they had gotten that call. But the thing is like the game didn't, it should not have come down to that, that call. Like the Broncos gave up 18 unanswered points the offense, you know, kind of squandered a lead to like the defense let the commanders back in the game. But if the Broncos offense consistently kept scoring points, the defense, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if they were given up points because the commanders would have been in too big of a hole if the Broncos just buried them. So there's blame to go all around. Like, I do think, you know, 
I wish they had gotten that call. I think they should have gotten that call, but I don't think fans should be like, you know, the NFL's out to get us. If not for that one play, we win the game. Cause like it, it shouldn't have even come down to that. Like if, if that's what the game comes down to, that's on the Broncos. They shouldn't have let it get there in the first place. No, no, no. If the Broncos won that game, it would have been a miracle. Absolute freaking miracle. They still would have had to go to overtime and win. Uh, but I come at it from a neutral perspective. And number one, that should have been a flag, right? That was pass interference. I think we all agree on that. Right? That should have been pass interference. So I, I agree with you, John. I just, this is just like a developing opinion. It's not really a take. It's just something I want to watch as the year goes on. Did you watch? It was late, probably too late, John. You were probably snoozing in bed. Uh, but did you see the end of the Browns? Pittsburgh game last night by chance I take it there was another no PI call yeah so if folks were, were watching and again it was late so you're probably root for your fantasy team or had a had some money on the game or something like that which is it's fine that's probably why I was watching John uh, but yeah I was still watching and the Browns were trying to make a game-winning drive at the end and Deshaun Watson threw it deep down the sideline to his receiver and the, the guy was blatantly held like interfered with on the sideline like the the corner literally had a fistful of collar, right? Like he had the collar of the guy's shoulder pad and yanked it down by the jersey. You could you could see the tug. There, there was all the signs of holding or PI or whatever you want to see, and the refs didn't throw the flag. So I'm just, I just want to watch and see after seeing this happen with the Denver Bronco game too, and I'm wondering if it happened in other spots. Like maybe it's a point of emphasis for the league to be like, if it's a game-deciding play, let it go. Let it go, unless it's like just horrible horrendous maybe it's a point of emphasis emphasis for the nfl where they're like we don't want flags deciding games i I don't know you know i'm just because i thought that was a blatant pass interference that the refs missed and all the eyes are on that play i mean they had to have seen the contact they decided not to call it right so that's just something i'm gonna be watching for again that's not really a take it's just i'm wondering because i've seen a few of these now uh, enough where it's like hmm, maybe these end of games the refs are just letting them play it out and whatever happens on the field happens if yeah. that's the case, let's get physical on defense and if it's the other way around, right? Yeah. If that is something from the NFL where, like, we don't want the play to come down to pee at the end, like, I don't like that because, like I said, if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. Whether the game's on the line, the game's not on the line, whether it's in the end zone, midfield, like, just call just call the game as the rules dictate it. Like, if there is some notion like that from the NFL, I hope they – go back on that because that that's going to get really annoying it will especially in for the gambling industry (laughs) because i'm sure there's people that lose money on these plays and if it's a blatant pi they want that flag trust me uh but that's a story for another day we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that but are the broncos going to get just smashed by the dolphins who look pretty good they're two and oh flying high on offense as john said tyree kill looks like a freaking beast he's just hard to contain no matter who you got on him uh, we'll talk about that game here coming up next. But first, some fantasy advice for week three from our friend Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number three. Quarterback Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh Steelers at Las Vegas Raiders. This one is somewhat of a shaky recommendation, and Pickett's ceiling maybe isn't as high as some would like, but he has a little bit sturdier of a floor this week than usual. Las Vegas has given up 225 yards and two and a half passing touchdowns per game, and there's a clear need for the Steelers to open up this aerial attack. Even though Pickett will be without Deontay Johnson once again, he still has a dangerous weapon in George Pickens, two capable pass-catching running backs, and a quality tight end to rely on. Be pleased with something in the neighborhood of 250 yards and a pair of scores but he's probably best utilized in daily fantasy sports 
Running back Javante Williams, Denver Broncos at Miami Dolphins. Somewhat surprisingly, Williams has dominated this backfield's carry count 25-9 over Samaje P. Ryan in the early going. The two have produced nearly identical fantasy results, however, and suffice it to say, the returns haven't been great. That should turn the corner this week against a Miami Dolphins defense that has given up running back touchdowns at the fourth highest rate, and only two teams have yielded more running back yards on the ground. This matchup is much easier to exploit rushing-wise, and we like Williams for a season-high performance as a fringe running back two or a strong flex. Wide receiver Kadarius Toney, Kansas City Chiefs versus Chicago Bears. No KC receiver has drawn more targets in each of the first two games than Tony, and he shook off the rust that led to his Week 1 disaster with a 100% catch rate on his five looks in Week 2. He's always a home run threat, and the former New York Giant offers potential for rushing points as a bonus. Chicago has given up wide receiver touchdowns at the fourth highest rate thus far in 2023, and Tony's an interesting gamble out of the flex position. Tight end Cade Otten, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus Philadelphia Eagles. Eight touchdownless catches for 60 yards through two weeks doesn't really move the needle in fantasy, but Otten warrants a lineup spot due to this brilliant matchup for those of us who stream the tight end position. The Eagles have permitted the most PPR points, non-PPR points, and receptions to the position through two games. This is the number two matchup for yardage, and only a pair of defenses have surrendered touchdown scores at a higher rate. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. John, what do you think about this ballgame? Dolphins, as I said, 2-0. They are they at least open to six-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Broncos, who are coming in uh, desperately needing a win, right? Now, the Dolphins did come off a tough game against the Patriots. Uh, they were able to hold on on the road uh, on Sunday Night Football this past week. But what's your just leadoff take on Denver going up against the Dolphins in Miami and the heat, all that stuff that happens when you go to South Florida in September? Yeah, my leadoff take is I'm terrified. <laughs> Don't like their chances? Get, yeah, that they're going to get absolutely obliviated. Like, because it's the NFL, and, like, sometimes football is weird where, like, an undefeated team loses to a winless team. They Like, I don't know if they don't take it. Like, they take the team too lightly, and then it's, like, just prone themselves to an upset. Like, you can never rule out in the po- in the NFL the possibility of an upset. So, like, of course the Broncos can win this game, and maybe they will. But my like worry is, and I feel like a realistic worry is this game could get out of control and the Dolphins could just stomp the Broncos because the Broncos, their offense, yes, it's a lot better, but it's not perfect. And Vic Fangio, uh, he has something to prove against this Broncos team. His defense has been playing well. Bradley Chubb probably has a little bit of something to prove against this Broncos team. And Bradley Chubb knows the Broncos offensive line very well. And over the years, him and Garrett Bowles got into a lot of scuffle, scuffles at practice. So Chubb against Bowles, that's going to be a very, very interesting matchup to watch. And like, if there's any like kind of shoving after plays or anything, or like hands and face masks or anything, like it, like hopefully. Bowles like doesn't get any personal fouls or anything because like that's that's the last thing the the offense needs is to put themselves in holes with uh, with penalties like that. So uh, Denver's defense against Tua and Tyreek Hill and Waddle if he ends up playing and even Raheem Mozart is off to a really nice start this season at running back. Um, so yeah, like. I, I'm just worried that the Dolphins, they're going to be able to make big plays, just like the Commanders. They're going to be able to pick the Broncos' defense apart. I'm not saying the Broncos can't beat the Dolphins because they can't. Like in the NFL, anything can happen. But I'm just worried that this is going to be a tough one. And if they drop to 0-3, like 
is the season lost already three games into the season? That would just be a catastrophe, but I think it's a realistic possibility. Yeah, 0-3, hard to come back from that. I, I don't think I don't think it's lost because you do have after after the Dolphins, you have the Bears and the Jets, right? So you get the Bears who might be the worst team in football, and you have the Jets who lost Aaron Rodgers. Really good defense. So you try to win that one two to nothing, or whatever the hell the score would be on that one. The Jets are really, really good on defense. But you know, I mean I guess it wouldn't be over, John, but it it would be it'd be rough to start 0-3 and I don't know. I'm with you, man. Like, who do you trust more? Like in, in like the matchup of wits, the coaching, Mike McDaniel versus Vance Joseph. Like, how does that not scare you? How does that not scare you? I know you were hitting on that, but like, yeah, Mike McDaniel. I that guy. First of all, I think he's good for the NFL. I think he's a breath mm-hmm. of fresh air. Uh, I'm so sick of like the old curmudgeon coaches out there. You know what I mean? Like, it just enough. Maybe I maybe it's Bill Belichick that I'm most sick of as a Patriots fan. I'm just sick of Bill Belichick. I don't know, but I'm just sick of the old curmudgeons. Like, give me Mike McDaniel all day. He's a breath of fresh air. He's good for the league, uh, and it's it's kind of fun that the Dolphins are are excelling under him. But he is scary, man. He's got speed all over the place, like you said, and the Broncos defense just has not been very good, and they have injuries. So uh, I'm a little worried there. Also, give me a little more on the Vic Fangio factor. Like, not only does he have something to prove, but does does he have any information or on the personnel knowledge about the Broncos personnel from back when he coached John that could help that team? You know what I mean? Like, is that anything? Is that something we should worry about? Yeah. I mean, it definitely could be. He, he knows, uh, he knows Justin Simmons, his strengths and his weaknesses. He knows Josie Jewell, his strengths and his weaknesses. There is, it, what was it? I guess three years ago now. So there has been a decent amount of turnover, but some of the key pieces that have been here since the Vic Fangio era. Like he, he may know like, Hey, this linebacker, I could not like match him up on a tight end or whatever. So, Hey, by the way, Mike, you know, Josie Jewel can't cover a tight end. I mean, obviously they're going to be watching film and observing things themselves, but there's little things about a player that he knows, like he, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are that definitely could come into play. And then obviously on the flip side, going against the offense, every day in practice, you know, the players on offense that are still there from Fangio's time in Denver. So yeah, he, he definitely has some inside knowledge and, and it's I, more so I think than getting a little bit of an edge from knowing about the players. I think he, he just, they always say that every game is just a game and they treat every game the same, but I really don't believe that. I really do think when there is like a revenge element and like, Hey, I'm going to prove that you gave up on me too early. Like, like it's a pride thing. Like humans are just prideful. Like we like to be proven right. And, you know, if someone gives up on us, like we want to prove them wrong and show them that, you know, they, they made a mistake. And I definitely think that's going to be something that's in the back of Fangio's mind this week. And, I don't think he would say that. You know, I think he'll say, you know, this is the next team on our opponent. And like, yeah, we're taking them seriously, but we want to beat them, blah, blah, blah. So I think he he and Bradley Chubb are, you know, Chubb obviously will be able to watch on the field. Fangio will be – actually, I don't know if he's even on the sideline. He might be up in the booth. But, yeah, the, those are the two guys to watch on the Dolphins this week. Could the Broncos uh, trade for Vic Fangio before the game? Like, is that <laughs> something they could do? Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, see, Vic, we did watch you as our defensive coordinator. Now we traded for you. You have no choice. You have to come. Well, uh, no, Sean Payton really did want him. This I know, yeah. 
when Sean Payton and Vic Fangio took a break at, at the same time, well, Vic Fangio was fired and then he took a break. Uh, Sean Payton just walked away from the Saints and they were on a break together. And like they talked and they were like, hey, you know, when you become a head coach again, Sean Payton, you know, I'll come be your coordinator. Or, you know, when I become a head coach, Vic Fangio, come be my coordinator. And they had talked about that. And I think then when Sean Payton was hired by the Broncos, it was like, mm, this kind of changes things. I think Vic Fangio. You know, I understand, like, it would be awkward and stuff. So I think he just didn't want to come back. And then the Broncos kind of had to settle, like, literally settle for Vance Joseph. He was not their first choice. I don't think he was their second choice, maybe not even their third choice. So maybe Fangio doesn't even think about it that way because Joe Ellis is gone. John Elway is gone. The old ownership is gone. So, you know, it's it's the same organization, but in some ways it's, it's not. So I don't know. I, I still think... And he's going to have something to prove. And I think he's going to want to take it to the Broncos. And I'm worried that he's going to be able to. Let me ask you this, John, before I get your official official prediction. But I think I might have a feeling where you're leaning here. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about that. Uh, how, like, what's your sense? I know you guys get a lot of feedback from Broncos country, you know, with your work on Broncos Wire. People interact with you guys on social media and stuff. What's the sense of the fan base? Do they... Are they thinking the season's already over? Never mind going to 0-3. They're 0-2, right? Do they think that they're already screwed? Do they think, you know, do they want to like, do they want to see the team just lose and go get Caleb Williams? Like, is that what the fan base wants? Where, where are they? Or do they think they have a chance this year? You know what I mean? Do, are the fan base well, kind of sticking with the team? I think it's a mixed bag. Like you, you ask different people, you're going to get different takes. But I think in general, I think most fans are kind of already think it's it's basically over and just like, okay, we're still a terrible team. Like Sean Payton's going to need time. Just one season's not enough. And, you know, that may be the case, but it, it varies. Like obviously there's going to be people who are optimistic, remaining optimistic. But I think in general, a lot of people are just worried that it's over. And, and I think a lot of people, uh, I think because Russell Wilson was so bad last year, like even my dad like was talking to me about like, what do I think is going wrong? And I was like, oh, I think the defense is awful. And he's like, I think it's Russell Wilson. I think he's not good. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Good take, Dad. Think, yeah, honest. But honestly, I think a lot of Broncos fans still share that sentiment. Like Facebook is just a terrible place to look at comments. But like on Broncos Wire's Facebook page, so many people are just so mad at Russell Wilson. I'm like, what the heck? Like he did have that fumble. I think that's part of it. Like he had the fumble and he didn't die for it. I, and I yeah. assume because he wants it down by contact and then he had that interception. So I think people just think, but I'm like, guys, the defense gave up 35 points to Sam Howell and the defense gave up 18 unanswered points. Like, they let the commanders the very first drive of the game. They marched down the field, and the Broncos got lucky, and the commanders missed a field goal, or otherwise, the commanders would have had a three nothing lead right from the start. Like at least it once in or at least it wouldn't have been. But like the whole game, the the commanders just were able to move the ball in the Broncos defense, which I just like I've been harping on it all podcast. The defense is just a huge letdown. Like I don't think Russell Wilson is a problem. I don't think Sean Payton is a problem. Like the offense, yes. It can be better. The operation can be smoother, but it's not the problem. Like uh, Vance Joseph in this defense is what they got to get ironed out. And if they do, I like, I I guess it it depends on like what you view as a success, like getting back to 500 or not back to hundred, getting to 500 period, or maybe like slightly above that, like nine and eight. Like, is that a successful season? Is eight and nine a successful season after you start? 0-2 or 0-3, like, 
it, to me, it's almost like football purgatory. Cause it, in my opinion, I would much rather be, you know, like two and 15. And as you said, have a chance at Caleb Williams. Like I would way rather have Caleb Williams than go eight and nine this season or nine and eight. Yeah, I guess that's the way the math is. I'm I'm so confused now by the 17 game schedule. It it used to be so simple. An eight and eight season was 500. But yeah, I I just I don't know. I think the average fan thinks it's kind of already over. And I I personally think like it's not over, but I don't think they're going to be great. Like I think that eight and nine, nine and eight around that 500 area, I think is what it seems like they're going to be end up being because they will play some bad teams this season. Like you said, like the bears and the jets uh, after losing Aaron Rodgers, like you would think they can win those. But I mean, you never know. We thought the Raiders and the commanders at home were very winnable games. So I don't know, maybe it will be just another terrible year for the Broncos. And the thing is you have to be first overall to get Caleb Williams. He's not going to fall. Cause even if the team that is one doesn't need a quarterback, someone will trade up to one. So Unless they want to trade, <laughs> they'd basically have to tank for him. I, right. I, Sean Payton's not going to tank. Russell Wilson's not going to tank. So I, I I, personally, I'd rather be awful than middle of the pack and not make the playoffs anyway. You know, maybe that's what we should have started from the beginning of the year if, if we were realistic, like a rebuilding year under Sean Payton. But, you know, maybe I bit into the hype too much and thought like contending for playoffs was very realistic. And you know, I'm talking like it's not. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe they're still going to be able to salvage this and get back into the wild card race. But I've been all over the place, Ryan. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're supposed to be, John. We don't know, right? It's too early. It's too early, and it's it's too early to to throw in the towel as a fan. I'm going to throw some optimism at you guys right now. I know that's a rare for me on the program, John. But uh, well, first of all, I think as a fan, I understand what you're saying. Like picking at the top of the draft is better than picking in the middle. I agree with that 100. percent But also. You don't want your team to be that franchise that tanks on purpose. You brought it up earlier, the Cardinals. Ownership might want them to tank, but are the players getting the memo? Because I see Josh Dobbs working his ass off out there. I saw them up 20 to nothing on the Giants, and they weren't trying to lose that ball game. I promise you that. They were trying to knock me out of my survivor pool, John, is what they were trying to do. (laughs) Nice pick, O'Leary, with the Giants. Holy crap. Um, So, yeah, the Cardinals, they're not getting that memo. They're, They're playing hard over there. I mean, they're shorthanded for sure in terms of personnel when they're going up against these teams but man they're playing hard uh nobody told josh dobbs that he's tanking this year i'll tell you that so uh, that's what you want you, you want your team to to try uh you you want you don't want to be you don't want to be a fan of a team that tanks trust me that is just that's the team you laugh at that's the team the team you point at and make fun of you don't want that to be your team and i think it's too early even if this game goes the way we might think it will in miami tough spot in the heat out there, it's tough. It's a tough time of year to go to Miami, especially when you don't have things all figured out on your end and you're kind of struggling in some areas. Tough spot. But after that, you got the Bears, as I mentioned. You got the Jets without Aaron Rodgers. And then, yeah, you got the Chiefs twice in three weeks, which on schedule day, I didn't like, John. I said, well, this is stupid. Why do we have the Chiefs in twice in three weeks, right? Is I think it's twice in 17 days or something. Yeah, because but, of Thursday night football. But the more, yeah, but the more I think about it, wouldn't, you'd rather play the Chiefs in October than November, right? Like, I'd rather play the Chiefs now when they're not looking like the Chiefs. Like, I'm sure after Thanksgiving, Kansas City will look like Kansas City again. But they don't look like Kansas City right now. They, they've looked kind of mediocre these first two games. Patrick Mahomes trying to figure out who's his number one receiver. Is it freaking Sky Moore? Is it Kadarius Toney, that basket case? Like, who's his number one guy with Travis Kelsey banged up? How, what's their running game look like? Like, 
I don't know. That team, I mean, their defense put on a pretty good game against Jacksonville this past weekend, but you got the Chiefs early in the year twice. That's a weird scheduling quirk, but that's the right time to get the Chiefs, I think. I'd rather play them now in October than after Thanksgiving when they'll probably be the well, well-oiled well machine Chiefs again. You know what I mean? So don't throw in the towel yet as a fan. Don't do it. Like, even if it's 0-3, you got a chance. You got a chance to get you know, get some wins and you're going to beat the bears and you you could beat the jets. That'll be a tough game, but you could beat the jets and then we'll see what happens against Kansas city in that first one. And then we'll go from there. Right. Um, yeah. Kansas city on the Thursday night. So that's another one. You got them on a short week the first time. So the game in arrowheads on a short week, I kind of like that too. So there's some optimism. I'm blowing up your skirt there, John, you know what I mean? Like, let's go like, uh, don't throw in the towel now and don't throw it in the towel yet. Even if they lose to the dolphins this weekend, I, I think, this first half of the schedule is intriguing. And then when you get to at Buffalo in November, like after the bye week, like you could talk to me then. But for now, I'm not throwing in the towel and fans shouldn't either. How about that? Yeah, I appreciate that, Rylan. It's, it's like you said, I'm expected for you to be the optimistic, <laughs> positive one. But yeah, I think I think Broncos fans need to hear that. Like Good. it's a long season. There is a lot of football left. Like, yes, it's disappointing, but 15 games – a lot can happen between now and then you never know how the rest of the conference is going to shake out. Like anything's possible. Like maybe they can squeak in. We'll, we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of football left to play. And if you're a, a listener right now who listens to the podcast and thinks the Bronco, you're rooting against the Broncos because you want Caleb Williams, you're rooting for the Broncos to lose every single game. I think I love you, but I think your take sucks. Okay. That's all. That's all I want to say. Your take sucks, but you're great and keep listening. And we appreciate you. Um, Okay, so now that I got that out, John, uh, what's your official prediction? The Broncos, if the line stays at six and a half, uh, what do you think? Broncos on the road getting six and a half against Miami. What do you think? I don't know, because six and a half is so big. Like that, I mean, it's not that big. It's only one. It's only one touchdown, but it's a lot. But I, from what we've seen of the Broncos, I cannot. I don't think I can even pick them to cover six and a half, lose by less than a touchdown, even though. I, like I said, I think it's possible. Like anything could happen in the NFL. I think they could, but I just can't pick them and back them to. So I'll, I'll, I will predict the Dolphins to win and to win by a touchdown or more. Even though I hate doing that, like it's not like I'm doing that. Like I, it's not I want to. Yeah. I don't want to say that, but I I just have to be a realist. I will say this: the Broncos. We talked about the offense kind of looking a little bit better, right? They're they're actually scoring points and averaging. What would what'd you say the stat, the stat was earlier, John? You said it was most the, points per possession. It's like just under three points a drive, basically. That's amazing after the crap we watched the past couple of years. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty good. Uh, the Dolphins did give up a ton of points to the Chargers in week one. You know, like maybe there's some hope there, right? Maybe there's some hope there. I do think it's a tough spot for them. I think going to South Florida in September kind of sucks. I think the Dolphins are playing probably better football than you right now. Um, they just got it together more. They're just, I don't know. They're a little bit tighter, right? Their personnel has been together a little bit longer. They kind of, they know what's going on. So it makes sense to to pick the Dolphins, but I, I think, I think the Broncos could hang in this thing. I, I think they're going to hang. I don't think the Dolphins, I think they're a little overrated. Honestly, John, I don't think you should be as scared as you are. Let's put it that way. Um, and if this line creeps up to seven, I would take the, the Broncos in a heartbeat. If I could push it seven, I would take the Broncos in a heartbeat. So I'll be watching the line. I'm actually close to leading Broncos. Why am I so positive about the Broncos right now? I don't know, but there's some, I just think the Dolphins are a little fraudulent, John. I do. And I think 
and I'm worried about the Mike McDaniel versus Vance Joseph thing. And but I know that Broncos are good on defense if they can just figure it out, right? So just coach it up, and don't let Tyreek Hill go off for 200 yards, and you got a shot against Miami. Okay, you're like they're a little overrated. So there's that. I, I'm leaning Broncos. Put it that way. And if the line goes up to seven, I'm picking them. So how about that? Put it on the board, John. Like I said, Ryan, it's refreshing to hear you be the optimistic one, you know, the one that has good things to say about the Broncos, but it's nice. And, you know, I hope you're right. Like, I really (laughs) hope you're right. Not just about this week, but about the season. Like I, I try in general to be positive and not to be super negative, but it's, it's hard. Like I, I also try to be realistic. So it's hard to not feel pessimistic about this game and the season in general, but you know, you're making me a little bit more hopeful. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that you're spot on and that, you know, you know, anything can happen in the NFL. Maybe they'll upset the Dolphins and we go from there. We'll see. John, what you guys working on on Broncos Wire from now till kickoff? We'll be following all the injuries, not just on the Broncos, but also on the Dolphins. Like that Waddle, he's in concussion protocol. That is a, the real big injury to watch this week because, like I said earlier, if Mathis is on him or Tyree Kill, either one, that's – a huge mismatch in the Dolphins' favor. So if he can't go this week, that's a huge story. So the injuries is something we'll be watching. Obviously, the TV map, you know, people always like to see the out-of-state Broncos fans. Is the game going to be on TV? So we'll have that. We'll have things to watch in the Dolphins game. Um, we always do a Q&A with the editor of the Opposing Wire site. So we'll have questions with Dolphins Wire to find out more about them. So We'll have all that coming up this week and this weekend, and then obviously into the game game day coverage. So always good stuff on Broncos Wire. Definitely be checking that out if you like the Broncos. And if you like the podcast, we hope you check in every week of the season, and we appreciate you stopping by this time. Please subscribe, tell a friend, all that. That's how you can support us, and we appreciate you. Uh, for John Heath, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for listening once more, and we'll catch you next time after Broncos, Dolphins. Looking forward to it. We'll catch you then. 